What's good, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Outside the Clutch. Uh, pretty pretty excited for tonight. We've got a lot of good stuff that I think is going to come up through this conversation. Um, before we jump into it tonight, though, I just want to talk about you guys. And I want to thank you. And you guys have been a huge support. Uh, we recently went to just an audio version on all podcast platforms. And we've been getting a lot of listens and it seems to be growing exponentially which is freaking amazing i want to thank you guys for that um if you are interested in supporting this podcast in more of a uh, monetary form um down below i have a link for that to go to my anchor which is where my podcast is pushed out of besides youtube here and uh you can go click on the link there and eventually we are working on a Patreon. The thing is, I want to make sure that it actually brings value to you guys. It's been so long since I've done a kind of vlog style or things like that, which that's going to come back to YouTube as well. But um, we're just, we're not there yet. I want to make sure that I have something set up for you guys. Um, so without further ado, I'm, I'm going to jump into this. I don't want to keep this guy waiting. He's very busy. He's very important. I mean, I think he's kind of important. He, He's a guest, so you got to treat him right, right? Um, we're going to talk about our sponsor, and we're going to get into our guest. My, my brain's a little scatterbrained. It's been a crazy day. I'm sorry, okay? It happens. Get used to it. You should know this by now. It's me. Uh, <laughs> so without further ado, here is our sponsor for the show. Here at Outside the Clutch, we're honored to be sponsored by VivTech. Are you ready for innovation? Tired of the same boring product that's been used for 30 years? Ready to give your reptiles and amphibians the UVB they really deserve? Then look no farther than VivTech. Their 3 watt LED bulb provide the UV rays your animals have been missing. With 3 bulbs to fit your pet's climate needs for optimal husbandry, plus a dimmable feature, and it's the only bulb with a 2 year warranty in the industry. So what are you waiting for? Go to VivTechProducts.com today Use code FCLUTCH0322 for 10% off to provide your animals the best care they've ever had. All right. What's good, y'all? What's good? What's good? The one, the only, Mr. Josh. I'm going to fucking screw up your last name so bad. L Lund. How do you say it? Lundberg. Lundberg. I, I'm not yeah. of a uh, German descent. I'm going to say that's like German or Swedish, <laughs> potentially. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. So I, I'm not there. I'm sorry. Lundberg. Lund, Lundberg. All right. We take what we so. get. <laughs> <laughs> this, this dude, I, I want to thank you for being on as we're starting because you, you've been quite an inspiration to a lot of people over the past couple of years. And one of the things that I admire about you personally, before we get started, like not not to like kiss you or anything, as uh, Levance likes to puss it or put it, but um, I like how you still feel or you still act like you're a day one almost. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you're you're still you're that giddy kid in everything that you do and i love that about you and i hope that never <laughs> changes in anything that you do because it's it's one of the uh defining qualities about ball python shit but um why don't you tell Thank us you. a little bit about you and uh 
let us know about ball python shed a little bit and we'll get this doing our thing um i don't really know that there's a whole lot uh maybe a few people don't know me um you know other than that a lot of the people see me on social media we go by josh jackie on there uh jackie's the wife um my last name like you said is lundberg um so no i mean we just uh just out here on the farm playing with the snakes and the animals every day and you know we're just enjoying it a, a lot right now this is uh this has been a lot of fun getting into this business and uh, in the very beginning, I didn't know exactly, you know, which, which direction to take it. And I'm glad we took it the direction we did because, man, I mean, just, it's a, I look forward every month to be somewhere to see everybody and just do it over again every month. Okay. So how, how long were you within the hobby or even breeding before you decided to go from what was then your full-time job to making breeding ball pythons your full-time job um being in the midwest you know i was involved in the livestock part of it because we have the farm um, we had the beef cows for a while um, and then i raised whitetails and the elk uh, before that i was really involved in all of that part of the industry because um, i love whitetails we love hunting you know and growing the antler every year was basically like breeding the ball pythons every year. You see a new expression of antler, you know, the eight point turns to a whatever, you know, something really exciting possibly. So that was, uh, you know, and then just the genetic expression in the ball pythons is a lot easier to see and a lot quicker to make. That's for sure. For sure. That, that had to be an experience though. Yeah. Like growing up elk is, <laughs> I don't know. Like, so where I grew up, you, you have them pass through. Right. And, um, that was, that was my favorite time of year is like when you get the elk rutting and they're going through and you just hear the bulls freaking bellow all throughout the mountains. And it's just like echoing down the mountains. It's an insane feeling. Like, obviously you felt it because you raised them, but I, I don't know that everyone's felt it. It's something, it's almost like something you feel all the way into your soul when they're bellowing out. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, and you know, when you raise them, you have a mature bull and he's standing at the fence and you know, he wants to guard his cows. So he will scream in your face just two feet away. And it is just like, this is insane. You know, I love it, man. I love it. That's, literally one of my favorite sounds like you guys ever want to make me happy just send me videos of bull elks yelling and that's that's all i need the rest of my life i'll make a whole track about it oh, i don't know that's what it funny. is it's just something about that sound i love um yeah but yeah man so you were you were raising essentially livestock like it, it's not livestock but it's it's kind of the same i guess yeah right? i mean they are they are livestock in the state of Kansas. They actually are livestock. Even the whitetails were not regulated under a wildlife and parks or anything. So um, they're basically a considered a beef cow under almost, you know, other than your high fence and, and maintaining them. They're, they're, that's the regulations, you know, a lot you, you go by here in Kansas. So uh, we're, we're a lot more lenient in this state, you know, so it's, it's a little bit easier to raise animals and it's friendlier, animal friendly. And it's um, how long were you guys doing that? Because that was that was your first 
full-time gig, right? And essentially you were never home because you were also a guide for hunts, correct? Yeah. Um, so that all kind of evolved at the same time. I got uh, actually, I mean, in the very beginning, I was in the pest control business. This was like right out of high school and I got into the pest control business and I did that for like almost 10 years, actually. Um, but most people don't even know that part of me. But then ba basically halfway through the pest control business, we got elk and I started to go into the outfitter service. So I kind of just like leave that part behind because it really wasn't fun anyway. It was kind of a nasty business to be in. And so, you know, we just we went to the livestock direction with the elk and, you know, and then we got into the white tails and and then I would say, uh, you know, always had the passion for the ball pythons for a long time because when I was a kid, 12 and 14 and 15, you know, we would go to, I think it was Bob Clark had his, you know, trailer and brought all of his animals, you know, just up from Oklahoma City. And I went and bought a normal ball python, a couple of them. And, you know, it was just, they were like $200 back then for a normal. And it was, you know, a little baby and it was really exciting. And <laughs> so that was when I was really young, you know, and then we'd go to Kansas City to the pet stores and I would see the bigger ones in there and it got me really excited. And so, I always had snakes, no matter what, all the way up through high school. Even when me and Jackie got together, I had the albino Burmese and the regular berm. I had the pear, um, you know, and so it was just, for some reason, how, it just always drew me back to it. Yeah. How hard was it to convince Jackie to let you keep the snakes in your life? You know, she was in college, so when you're young, you know, I think the snake thing is kind of cool, and, you know, you're trying to be cool, so I think we... You caught her at the right time. As, yeah, exactly, exactly. You caught her at the but experimental time in life and got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you... Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> nice. But no, we ended up oh. having to move, you know, and do all that stuff over time, so we got, you know, I got, I gave to the guy at the pet store there and uh i think he still maybe has one of them um but yeah it you know it uh it's pretty cool um and just all of all you know the snake thing's always been part of me really to be honest with you it's forever oh yeah so when did you we, we kind of touched on it but you were you're doing the livestock and then you made the choice to go to only snakes right do you still have, like, obviously, I assume you probably still have all your land, but do you do that livestock at all anymore? Or did you just completely pass that to someone else? Yeah, I think it's almost been, I think it's been three, two and a half years ago now. We hauled the final cows to the sale barn and sold off that bunch. I think there was like 25 or 30 head left. And then I had some partnership cows in certain places that I had to get rid of. Um, but after that, yeah, um, that, and that we got, we did that all a couple, two or three years ago, like I said, and then I fully committed to the snakes, um, to do it, you know, full time, hundred percent. And I started dabbling in the shows. Um, and I went to one of Sean's shows up in Kansas city. Um, and, and it was amazing. He treated us great and we had a fantastic show for showing up for the first time. It was like humbling, you know, um, so I just, you know, kept going and everybody was, you know, treating me really good. And here I am today. I fell in with a great group of people and, you know, we definitely have fun 
Like, you know, you're going to be involved. That's an understatement right there, yeah. sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love those guys. I mean, those uh, Georgia guys, Bob and them, they are, uh, they're an amazing group to hang out with. They treat me, you know, great. And I try to treat them the same. So, you know. So you you really only have been at it for a few years, but you just went all in and never looked back. Yeah, the full-time part of it, I would say this will be going on my third year. Um, Jesus. Uh, 14 and 15 was my big years of buying a lot of snakes to really get me to where I was at because I was kind of seeing, you know what? I want to be involved in two or three different businesses because that was just kind of me and wanting to do two or three different things at the time. And so, you know, the snakes were something that you don't have to work a 40 hour week to take care of. We all know that. So, um, you know, in the very beginning, as you're building that, it's just a couple hours every day here and there and social media, you know, building that up takes a lot too. So when did you, when did you decide that it could be a full-time thing? Like, what can you kind of walk us through that thought process? Cause that's, that's one of the things that I was really trying to drive last week. And I'm trying to drive this week is there's so many people in the industry that have aspirations of making it a full-time thing. Right. But they don't, they don't realize the time that's really going to go behind it and what's really going to matter in order to take it to that next level versus just a hop. Yeah. Well, and when I got into it, the times, I guess, well, I'll say are a little bit different. You could really, you could just buy a pretty coat on banana females or five gene, you know, and, you know, that would get you somewhere. And today, I mean, that can get you kind of somewhere, but it really needs to be a het pied or a het clown to really get you somewhere. So, um, so I guess for me, it was, trying to buy the most expensive project females in the very beginning for me in like 2014 and 15. So um, this was the very beginning of me trying to think I'm going to do a business with this. So um, I'm going out and I'm buying these freeway females that are like five grand a piece, you know, and it's like, these are the beginnings of the Mardi Gras. So I'm like, I love this project. So I want to chase this project. I know stuff's expensive right now, but things were pretty good at the time. So I was just investing in, you know, in the, in the deer business, the cattle business and all my other businesses, you buy the females, you buy the females, you buy the females. They want the most powerful female you can get. So I took that mentality into the snakes instantly. And that's where I was buying all these females that were, you know, what I thought were going to get me somewhere someday. What? And so I guess that just slow, you know, and you have to grow those things. So it definitely takes a while. So, and I kind of bought a couple packages of snakes. What I would say would be like somebody would uh, want to sell some snakes that there's two or three really, really good ones in there, but they really want to move all 10 of them. And so I would just buy the whole group. And then, you know, I would, I would keep like half of them. And then the other half, I would, you know, grow them up and get them two, three. 300 grams and trying to be responsible, you know, because I didn't hatch them. So at least be responsible enough to sell them to people or resell them and show their good quality snake. And so I did a little bit of that in the beginning, you know, whatever you want to call it, flipping or whatever. But, you know, flipper, you did flipper. No, I'm just like, 
but it did advance me i'll be honest with you these some of these new guys if they would take advantage of a few deals like this if guys would throw at them you know you cherry pick those cool snakes that you need and then just move the rest it is what it is you know and i mean that's just part of the business no matter what um so i just kind of whittled my way through a little bit of that bought a few adults along the way to just be hatching some more stuff because we just had a few you know, I didn't have like no bulk amount. We were just hatching like five, eight, ten clutches. You know, it was a small, small amount. So I'm trying to upgrade this big collection oh, thanks, and go full thanks, time. Thanks. You know, mentally. So I'm, yeah, and I'm, and I'm trying. It, to, it was only like eight or ten. It's just a business. small amount. Some of us are still reaching for that, man. Jeez. No, I'm just playing. Well, I mean, you you have to start. You have to start. Right, you know, right. and that was me at the time. So. um so basically what I did was, is I uh, was just growing those females, hatching what I could, maybe doing a couple little package deals, selling what I could to kind of, you know, have a little fun with it. And basically those girls got to be big enough to breed all those freeway girls. And I started making these free, cool freeway combos like four years ago. And, you know, I mean, that really kind of people started seeing what I was doing and you know, making some other stuff too. And it just, you know, kind of got me, you know, it definitely helped me for sure. Um, I made that dirt road freeway it has spider in it. People freak out about spider, but you know, it's like, it almost made me famous. <laughs> so. Oh, that's good stuff, man. No, that's 100%. Like I, I think um, as much as I hate it and I, I do, I, I mean, I kind of talk shit about flippers, but I've never been put in the situation, right? And I think once you once you take this from a hobby perspective into the business perspective, like your whole thing is now your family is relying on this, right? And you, you have to actually make a profit. <coughs> Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble and the animals are going to be in trouble and everything's going to be in trouble. So that, that aspect, I give people a hard time for it, but um, if you're listening right now live or after the fact I, I understand it i'm just i'm in that purest state right now and i can get away with having it and once i push it beyond uh yeah hobby level which totally, is eventually totally. the goal right that mindset has to change but well and i i totally respect what you're doing i i think that that's awesome to be honest with you i and i think i guess for some of it was uh almost for me was to on the resell things was you're getting into this and you actually want to do this and you you have these big ideas you want to prove to yourself you can actually sell some stuff when you're a no one you know so that kind of give you the little bit of confidence along the way too you know i'm a no one and guys are buying my snakes full retail what is going on here this is awesome you know it's like <laughs> so it, i loved it you know and it, it just it drove my passion wins, man. it really did Okay. Yes, and that, and I think that's what just kept me rocking to keep me going. Yeah. So what besides the freeway project? What were the other projects that you decided that you really wanted to push into when you were starting out? Um. So starting out. You know, dun, I don't dun, really dun, know. Dun. Yeah, no, you know, I'm really, I was going <laughs> to, I had a lot of, ultra, I had a lot of Ultramel stuff in the beginning, to be honest with you. But then I had a lot of banana stuff too. And I was like, man, these bananas are actually a lot prettier and you just make them a lot quicker. 
I was like, and this is just kind of like the recessive banana. You know, this is my mentality five years ago. And I'm like, so I'm just going to make bananas. And I kind of got rid of a lot of that Ultramel stuff. <laughs> I wish uh, now I you, done you're that, regretting that one right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think there's a big future in the Ultramel. Um, uh, but no, I think, you know, you're just making the clowns, making the pies. Everybody wants to do that. Um, one of my, my favorite is the puzzle. You know, I think uh, I, I, I love puzzle stuff. I'm going to try and, you know, do a lot with it in the future. And I think it has one of the best, brightest futures coming up. So I think it's going to be fun to watch the combos everybody make. You know, I mean, we haven't even hardly seen any. So sky's the limit. Yeah. 100%. That's a, that's a combo I have had my eyes on <laughs> for the last four years, and I have yet to pull the trigger. Um, the day is coming. <laughs> the day is fast approaching. Yeah, I no, say I that. It. Um, it's just, it, it. I feel like, well, everything I do, right, is um, I try to focus on the pattern. Like, I just, I love the variation in pattern you can create with a lot of these morphs and obviously you you have to play right. with color but i've just th that's where my eye is is in pattern and how to manipulate pattern more um or at least for right now that's it could change in the future but the puzzle just like you were saying there there's so much that hasn't been done and it offers such a wide range like i i love ghis and i love hurricanes or blitzes or tricks or whatever you want to call them or whatever right anything yeah. that's a major yeah. pattern changer i i like to look at that stuff and look at the intricacies but the puzzle something different man like that is uh i don't know how to explain it it's, it almost um, has a it almost has a krypton look to it itself you know what i mean when you kind of compare those animals and in the recessive form that that's really neat you know so we can move forward with making those visual animals and i know it's totally different you know <laughs> but yeah and I it's, mean, at least it's yeah like, well that's one of the things i think about too is like you you got you have so much but it's it's such a new recessive like it, it what popped up i think like 10 years ago now with sean bradley maybe a little longer yeah but yeah. um it's really so untapped like you don't even have line breeding of it in essence because there's just not enough generations so what you're going to be able to do and right. the way people are going to be able to manipulate those by just like looking at the outlines or the general shape that the puzzle makes is going to be insane in the future oh and the desert ghost i mean the puzzle itself you look at the mojave puzzle it has like yeah. It has almost like a desert ghost look to it itself. So when you add DG, it's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. So one of the things that you've become uh, well known for, and my buddy, I, I got peer pressured tonight, guys. I got peer pressured a little bit. Um, he sent me the picture back when I posted it today. And he's like, dude, hell yeah, you have to talk about acid. I was like, I don't know that much about it. So we're going to get the first hand. Um, <laughs> You've been really pushing acid stuff over the past, I would say, eight to ten-ish months. I know you've had it longer than that, and you've been producing it, but I've seen a real push out of Ball Python Shed with that. What's what's one of the things that you look for in your acids for those that want to invest in the morph? And then what's uh, what's really has you excited about it? 
So the acid gene, probably to be honest with you, is the most exciting gene for me and my collection. And the reason why that is, like you were bringing up earlier, the pattern changing is what you really are focusing on. And I'm focusing on that as well. And the acid does that tremendously, almost to everything. Um, but what I really love about the acid over all the other genes I see is it the contrast. The contrast of it of the acid is probably one of the most amazing genes I've ever seen because as adults, they really, if you want to put fading on a scale of one to a hundred, they fade 5% range, you know, and just your basic clowns going to fade 10 to 20% and your pastels 30 to 70, you know, you just never know they range. So, you know, I mean, and my, my visualization of everything right now is I want the best quality in product I can produce. So in three to five years from now, when I'm having to let go all my adult females, you're buying the best quality animal that I tried to produce at that time. And that's going to be a visualization plus contrast as an adult. That's where I'm heading mentally, just... Um, that's why I like Ultramel Clowns, Ultramel Pides. Um, if you look at those as adults, they don't really fade that much compared to the babies. And that's that's the direction I'm heading with everything. So if you add acid into the Ultramel Clowns and acid into the Ultramel Pides, because we just seen acid Pides made. <laughs> Jimmy made those out in California. Those are Very amazing. Beautiful. Oh, I mean, the clown pied acid is going to probably be one of the top, you know, and add DG to it. I mean, it's just, let's just, <laughs> we'll stop there. But, but, and that's what I'm saying. The contrast of the acid you put into it, now we see into the pied is one of the best. Into the clown is one of the best. You put it in the desert ghost, it's going to be one of the best. And you just morph all that together. That's just, that's just my mind thinking on a daily basis, trying to get to that. So, <laughs> How do you have kind of like the same mentality? So a lot of the people that I've talked to, um, when they, when they get to this point where they make it a full out business, this is not necessarily all they think about, but anytime you have free time, your mind starts wondering. Bad. Bad. <laughs> You're like yeah. a little ADHD yeah. kid. Oh, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, I go to bed at night trying to make pairings a couple of years from now on females right. that are like 500 grand, you know, and I'm mentally trying to put that to that. And, you know, I mean, because it's all part of the business plan, like you talked in the beginning, you know, and some days you're scratching on paper and some days you're just scratching in your head as hard as you can. And so. Heck yeah. So for kind of going back to it um you are now on the road quite a bit like you go from kansas to uh all the way down to florida you come down to texas you go all the way out to california there's really not a place that you don't go in the united states at this point um i don't know if you've hit the pacific northwest yet but you've been darn close to it i think <laughs> so uh what what's it like and kind I of having that travel journey? Um, I really wasn't much of a traveler in the past. I was more of a homebody. That's I guess yeah. that more that farm life mentality back then. Um, you know, because you're here 
you know, Calca is sick and Calca be on the road. So you have to be home to put it in. It's just dumb stuff, you know? And so nowadays it's a lot easier, you know, snakes are in the building and as long as everything's taken control of and Jackie's here taking care of everything, even my daughter and my kids have apps on their phone, you know, for the incubator for all the stuff. And so they know if something goes wrong to get with me as fast as they can. And so it's just uh, now it's, it's gave me that flexibility to be gone, you know, that three to five days a month uh, on average. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely made, you know, it's it's helped the business tremendously. I mean, don't get me wrong. We can all sit here and sell our snakes on Morph Market and through Facebook and through all that. You can definitely work hard and do that. Um, but if you want to go to the shows, you can move them twice as fast. And that's kind of what it's all about, you know, for the last two months i really haven't even needed to sell a snake nor tried to sell a snake if you've contacted me fine i'll sell you a snake <laughs> but it's kind of been enjoyable this is my kind of free time i get you know it's the beginning of the year the shows are getting ready to crank off so i'm just enjoying my time on the farm right now to be honest with you okay i saw your uh yeah. your boy took a turkey by himself the other day that has to be a yeah. proud papa moment yeah that was really good you know i I try to let those kids do a lot of it by themselves. You know, I take them and I put them in the blind and, you know, they know what to do because they've been explained and seen it all happen. But yeah, you know, I kind of let them grow up a little bit. That's, that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. Man. I, uh, so I've only ever had one hunting adventure with my dad and uh, it was right before okay. I joined the military. And it was, I'm not going to lie, it was kind of miserable for me because I was a city boy at that point, right? <laughs> like, I was so used to the city yeah. being out in the country. Well, not even out in the country. Like, I was out in Maine in end of November because that's deer season up there. And it was uh, it was Thanksgiving week. And we were in this little cabin with no service, no nothing. So I had no connection, which is <laughs> my dad planned, which is what you want, right? But you don't think about that at that point when you're a kid. Right? Right, right. You're just like, oh, I want to talk to people and watch my TV shows and all that other crap. Right. <laughs> and you don't appreciate it. And now looking back on it, like it, it was a rough couple of days. And I, I definitely got uh, Mother Nature handed me some <laughs> love, some tough love. <laughs> I, uh, I found a moose wallow that my boot got submerged in and came off in. So I had oh, to nice. dig that nice. out and then walk about a mile while I was letting my, uh, wool socks warm up and all that good stuff right wow but, um, there's so it was cold oh it was cold we were walking in uh probably around six inches of snow the whole time it was oh, it was nice. a fun experience yeah. man. but uh it's just um there's something special about it now that i look back on it and me and my dad have talked about it a lot and i was like i wish i would have went up there more often and done this and uh so we're trying to get my boys used to the idea and like when we go and visit him up in new england now we go out into the woods and we'll get him little fake guns and we got this giant elk mount and a couple of deer mounts from uh his time right and uh yeah. so we'll place those on the trees like we'll mount them on the trees and we'll make them look at scat and rubs and all kinds of stuff <laughs> and then they find it and they take their little toy guns and they take their shot which wait till they get broadside and make sure you have a clean shot look behind it and all the all the hunting fundamentals right um but they love yeah, it man they, i, know, I, I really hope that it's a bigger part of their life 
No, that would be awesome. Do you guys do any fishing or anything like that? So I want to, but uh, unless I travel about two and a half hours, there's not a lake for me to fish at. Or like they have little uh, manstock ponds, but they want a ridiculous amount to get into the parks that have those ponds. Um, gotcha. It's yeah. like it's like fifteen or twenty dollars per person for those parks, and I'm just the the fishing license itself is like five bucks. I'm not doing. That. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just a different part of the world. I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Water, water's a special commodity down here, man. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. That's, that's hopefully, crazy. one day it'll be a different situation. But for now, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so you you went through all the traveling. Sorry, I get sidetracked really easy. I got no. You're good. I'm excited about hunting. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, on the on the traveling side of. It, but, um, so, and even this year, we're going to expand a little bit more. We're going to, we're going to do the Vegas shows. Um, and then we're going to do some other shows with Bob in the South. We're going to go to Houston, um, and probably go down and maybe do a couple other shows with him in that area down there. Um, so yeah, we're just going to kind of do a few more, um, you know, do a few more with the team and then just, uh, just, you know, just try and keep it rolling. Now, how how has that change kind of made you rethink your time at home? Because I know when you were a guide, I, I think it was on uh, Chris's episode. It was either Chris's or Brian's. Um, and I really try not to do this because you can you can fall into the same questions, right? So if you're a podcaster, don't fucking listen to other people's interviews with your guests <laughs> like right before. That way those questions aren't in your mind. Like I'm trying to go back to my questions in my mind and I don't carry an outline. So it gets really shitty sometimes. But um, yeah, so oh, what I was saying. Great guest. Great guest. Horrible, <laughs> horrible host. Um. What was I saying? Come on, John. I can't believe I did this. I just brain dumped. Sorry, guys. It was, it was um, something. It was something on Chris's podcast. Oh, you were you were a guide, so you spent a lot of time away from the family, but you were close, in essence, because you were still on your land. Shut up, Chris. <laughs> so. Now that you're traveling, how how have you had to reschedule your family time? Like that's something that I think we all need to think about as well. Is like when you're first starting out, you have to push, you have to push, you have to push, you have to be at as many of these shows as you can because you really want to get your name out. You want to build that clientele. You want to build your friends, right? And uh, you want to ho hopefully, as many people have, find that group where you fit in. So that until you you have to learn how to kind of balance out the family time and the work time yeah i think uh just the past having to uh, deal with all that stuff at a different level um and being gone so much through a few months time that this just being gone you know three to five days probably it's probably what it comes down to on average a month is only about five days um so oh, you know really it's pretty simple my kids go to school Monday through Thursday. They don't even have Friday school. So most of the time if me and Kendall are leaving, it's a, like a Thursday afternoon. So, I mean, I'm pretty much seeing my kids till they're out of school for the week. And then we take off and get a late room. And then, you know, Friday morning we start early and get to the shows and set up the, and, and I like to get to the shows fairly 
early on Fridays, and, you know, in that 9 to 10, 11, only to get set up. So then I kind of have free time for the rest of the day. Um, you know, you can hang out and people come by and see you. But then you got to have that time to go by and see some people. Because if you don't, the shows get so chaotic that you have no time to go anywhere. And I feel guilty. If anybody's watching tonight and I don't come by and see you, it's not because I don't love you. I do love you. It's just because sometimes I have friends standing at my booth helping me. And I don't even get to visit with them because we're so busy. So... And, and a lot of people understand it, but it, it, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, I think they think I'm stuck up because I didn't come by, you know, a couple shows in a row, but it, it doesn't mean that at all. Just I'll get there sometime. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel you. And that's, that's kind of your chance to do your perousing of the show as well. Right. That's right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And a lot of people, I don't know, like I, I've kind of, come to the point where now seeing my local show and always being at Arlington and I've been to a couple of other shows, it's almost, it's almost more of a, I don't want to say scouting. Like I'm trying to pull, like I watch Josh and this is what Josh does in his booth that I really like. So how can I pull that and turn that into mine? And I watch Steve while he's doing his thing, which I get, I get really lucky because there's three really big names all in one booth at Arlington. So I can just like <laughs> stand in the corner and watch you guys for a little bit, which sounds kind of creepy now that I say it out loud, but whatever. Uh, but no, you're right. <laughs> you, we all kind of do a little bit of that. Yeah. 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 And that's that's what I love about it. Like you, you, I think that's what makes you who you are. Is you, you find what works with other people, but you find a way to make it your own. And you have to have that open mindedness to continuously be changing. Because even if it works for you, and even if it's a part of you, sometimes it's not beneficial. Not necessarily to the general public, but to your customers. You know what I mean? Like there, there's things where I was like, I was doing like education shows or even at the last show that we had here. I was just, I was that person where I told Mickey, I was like, hey, give me a table away from everybody else and kind of feed, try to feed the room so that they see my stuff first and they get to touch animals and I can make sure they're sanitized. Then they can go to the buying people, right? And uh, that gives, so like all the people that have never touched a snake before, they can get it over with and they're not trying to touch all the animals for sale <laughs> and like making all the sellers crazy, right? And uh, and I mean, you, you got to be nice to them, right? But at the same point, I you know. don't want to bring a bunch of stuff back. So it, it's a fine meeting. And I was like, well, I'll be the one that takes the risk. The stuff that I take is colubrids anyways. I'm not breeding them for at least another year. So if they sit in quarantine for two, three months, it's not a big deal for me. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I get that. Totally. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a different, it's a different mentality, but so I don't really, I try not to necessarily buy from the shows now. Like I like to look at what people have at the shows and then I like to hit them up afterwards and be like, Hey, I really wanted this. <laughs> Do you still have it? <laughs> things like that, you know, like after I know it's been through and it's clean and things like that. I just, I, I, uh, I trusted someone here locally and they screwed me over really bad, unfortunately. And I almost Thanks. lost a lot of my collection. Well, it, it happens. Like you get, you get overzealous when you're trying to build. Right. And so now I, yeah. I'm still, I'm good with the low, low, slow build up now. Like I, I want to go full time, but 
at the same time, I want to make sure I do it right. And so you have to build to a certain point and make sure you can quarantine set amount of animals and all that. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Anyways, enough about me. They're not here for me. They're here for you. Uh, <laughs> what Maybe what projects? Yes, let's do it. Um, what projects are you really excited for coming into this year? Um, so this year, back to the acid. Um, I bred uh, quite a few acid clown things. Um, I bred my acid clown to some of my most powerful uh, clown female visuals and het clean uh, het clown females. Um, so I'm hoping to see some really cool stuff that hasn't maybe been made you know someone maybe made it but at least we're kind of on the beginning of some of this stuff to at least see it um and then uh you know i got a few stranger things coming i do i do like what the stranger stuff does uh so we'll see a few of those um quite uh, i got a few puzzle clutches coming so i'll see a few puzzle things I got a couple ultra male puzzle clutches coming um so i have the visual male times a couple double head females and one of them just ovulated the other day so we're in the process at least chances it may be more visual ultramel puzzles um so and, and then i've got my hopefully my recessive gene the nada gene um you know i've been breeding her to clowns for the last few years and she's just been giving me the normal you know pastel and leos and just whatever clown i've been breeding her to spot nose and so her oldest daughter is a spot nose, uh, double head, not a clown. And I bred her. I couldn't get the leopard to breed her at the time, the double head male. Um, so I put the spot nose cause I had her brother. Um, so I put him in. So, and she's ovulated now too. And the, and the visual, not a female is ovulated. And we've got the prelay sheds on those. So we're just waiting on eggs now. So if, you know, maybe I can prove this out to be a visual recessive, you know, if I can hit the, it's almost like a blackhead looking animal with a gray acid, almost looking belly to it. Uh, it's a very unique looking animal. So if this does prove out, I think I'll have something really, really cool. I just got to wait and see here. So. Heck yeah. And you've, so is this something that just popped up within your collection? No, and you're uh, trying to... I found I found this female on the table at uh, Daytona. I think it was in 2015. I, I'd have to. Me and Kenny Aponte were down there, and we were hanging out. And I was uh, it was like the first year I got to actually like physically go down there and hang out with those guys. It was Joe Kenny and Steve Smorfs, and then uh, Kenny Aponte, and then uh, so we all we all kind of hung out for the first time there. And me and Kenny were walking around just Daytona. And there was tables with imports, you know, just a few tables here and there. And there were just little deli cups. And one had like 200 on it. And Kenny Aponte remembers the name of the table we bought him from. I can't remember it now, but he still does. But uh, I bought this one deli cup. was 25 bucks for this little black-looking, dark-colored snake. And I'm like, this is definitely really kind of unique. And so I took her home, and she never really grew into, like, a very big snake. Uh, I think when she laid her first clutch, she was only 1,300 grams, and then afterwards, she was, like, 850. And now she's up to, like, a, maybe a fifteen or 1,800-gram snake before she lays. So she lays really, like, she's kind of like a, like a small woman. You know what I mean? Just a small woman that lays eggs, I guess. And, and <laughs> terrible analogy. <laughs> But I think you get the picture. Dude, I, I hope my like wife a... isn't watching right now. 
this comment's gonna get me in so much fucking trouble. Oh, that was terrible. It's just like a small woman no, that lays eggs. <laughs> like my wife, she's petite, and I made her push three out. I'm sorry, babe. Yeah, some of them are very good at it, you know. So never mind. We're not going there. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Modesty is not my uh strong point. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm having I'm having fun with that one. If it proves yeah. out, it proves out. So that'll be fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That uh so how many how many clutches do you look to try to push every year right now um so when i did the full-time deal uh, like we talked a few years ago i had the 122 25 clutches that year so that was the basically the point that allowed me to go full-time um because it was like almost doubling from the year before the most i'd ever had you know and I still haven't beat that again now in two years. I was like 108 last year, and I'm going to be like 98 this year. So I'm down just a little bit. But to be honest with you, I've, I've done a lot with my collection over the last year where I just had basic females. Um, I had like a whole rack, you know, 40 just normal gene pastels and stuff that, you know, I would make hets with. And they made me nice big babies and big clutches, so they were great to make hets with. But I just decided this year, you know, I've got like 85 holdbacks that are all visuals or had something that are going to replace them for this upcoming year. So it's like I just decided I'm just going to move all those out right before breeding season. And I did most of that. And so it cut my probably clutches down 25, 30 clutches. But I'll, I should make that up no problem this next year, hopefully. That's insane to think about, man. Like. <laughs> You're you're three years in and you're handling a thousand babies a year. Easy. That's <laughs> freaking wicked. It gets chaos. I think it's just the feed thing. So if people are really thinking about doing this in the future, you know, you can I have 700 mama rats, but I still from Dan order probably two to four hundred rats a week and he delivers them to my door, you know. So, I mean, I can't ever keep up no matter what, because six months of the year, you know, you have bad, you have hot, hot weather three months of the year, cold, cold weather three months of the year. And yeah, you get your babies in there, but it's a suppressed amount of babies and right. six months of the year, you get really good breeding. So when a thousand babies come, you're just wiped out. You have nothing left. <laughs> imagine, man. Like that's, I so my first year, I got 40 babies off of five clutches and I was, I got lucky. I'll say this. I was overwhelmed. Like I, I'm not going to lie in the least part. So I don't know how you did a thousand babies, your first year, <laughs> but um, I was overwhelmed with 40 and like the trouble eaters drove me nuts. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, a thousand. I, I can't even fathom. I don't know that I would ever want to fathom that. So kudos to you, sir. Uh <laughs> that's that's insane <laughs> well we all we, yeah. we all figure out ways to make it easier for ourselves you know like these v the the five series tubs that had that uh rack made for those i start out every hatchling in those now so it went from probably like 60 percent of all my hatchlings taking a first meal to 75 or 80 85 percent maybe even and then 
you know, and if they didn't take, and I'm talking a rat, the first meal, you know, a rat pink or something. And then if those didn't take it, I would at least try the mouse. And then you're up to like almost 95% of the animals are taking their first meal at least. And that means a lot. And I don't know if it's yeah. like, it's a tighter, more controlled environment, but having that many animals, um, it, it, it was huge. I'll be honest with you. So just a little key point thing, you know, for, you get you get six eight meals in the snake move it up whatever you got to do but those little tight tubs definitely help the very beginning babies okay and that that might be part of it like i have the six quarts and it's not that they're any issue like you can see it behind me yeah most of mine go but i've had i've had a few where it was like i definitely feel you it's almost like i blocked off half of it to get them to actually eat and it's that's true it's stressful maybe it is too much space. Yeah. I know like my mentor says it all day and he, he keeps them in this from newborn to about 300 grams. And then he starts pushing them up. But, um, going, going back to feeding, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I just said, I think that's perfect. Whatever he's telling you, they're telling you that's perfect. Yeah. So, um, going back to feeding, what's your kind of your routine? How do you, feed over there because there's so many people have so many different theories on how to feed to be successful in this and like so what what's your feeding schedule and when do you start looking at um like maturity and size as far as breeding your animals um so i don't even breed my animals no matter what until they're at least two years old um I don't, no matter what that is, um, and they have to probably, unless it's like the exception, like that import I found and I knew she was small or I have a slow feeder that I know I kept back that it's not going to be as big. I want the animal to at least be around that 1800 mark when I'm breeding them. Um, that way they're pushing into the twos or 2,500 by the time they're laying. Um, and then, uh, you know, and a lot of the females, they skip two years old sometimes and they end up being three by the time they lay. And that's per- perfect. So it all works out. So it's just getting your amount of holdbacks to be because the business, you know, if you got to wait two, three years to breed your holdbacks, it's you definitely want to almost overcompensate on your holdbacks. Sometimes it sounds crazy, but um, you just kind of do, you know, people think in a sense an addiction it actually is a business plan but it is a little bit of an addiction so (laughs) um but no um (laughs) i think just and then as far as like feeding my feed schedule i don't really have one to be honest with you i'll probably be one of those people that uh this may sound crazy I, i probably admit to it and a lot of people don't admit to it i'm just feeding my snakes when i when they want fed a lot of times because i'm doing this full time i mean yes we have a time during the weekend that we try to feed everything but i'm pretty much you know i'll feed on sunday i might feed on wednesday i might feed on friday um, because the collection is so big and then you know i'll go through like that whole back rack of 85 females and they they range from you know uh, you know different sizes in the thousand gram range and above or hair under and if I open this hub and I see, you know, and I'm going through just checking everybody and I see 10 or 15 snakes that look like King Cobras and they're ready to eat again, I'll just go get another tub of rats. You know, I just fed them two days ago and let's do it again. Um, and the ones that want to eat, I feed them. So um, I'm not like power feeding these females because I don't really have a bunch of, you know, big 
what I'd say, just big fat girls laying around. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I have a lot of really, you know, healthy looking snakes that, you know, I mean, yeah, I do have snakes that are only a year old that are 12, 1400 grams. But if you don't feed them for a week, they almost look skinny in the tub. So those are just metabolism eating, you know, those snakes burn it fast. It's just the way it works. What size do you feed, if I can ask? Because I know, like, so I've talked to a few people, and a few people will say, like, hey, once they're breeding size and I'm trying to get them into breeding season, I'll throw smalls, I'll throw mediums. I think I even had someone say large, which I, I myself, personally, I don't think I could ever even throw a large rat at a ball python. I mean, maybe like a volta or something, but um, like your typical 2,000, 3,000 gram, I, I think it's potentially too much in one go but that's my thought um well and i mean and even if it's not too much those when those rats get to be largest they're mean um you know i've, I've seen rats bite down through the roof of the snake before i've had rats grab them by the eyeballs and try to just poke their eyes out i mean it's not as simple as most people think that rat wants to try and survive for that three to five seconds he's being choked out so I mean, they get pretty vicious, you know, and sometimes like if I feed, if I actually feed a rat that I think is maybe too big, I will let her take it. And then I have like a, like a little stick or like a little ruler or something. And I'll, and I'll just stick it in the rat's mouth real quick and just let him sit there and hold it until I know it's good enough. And then I'll just pull away. Um, because exactly I mean, you're feeding very valuable. Animals. Yeah. I mean, these are, these animals are your are your living so i'm doing every so yeah i mean i would think probably a wiener to a medium would be like on the huge for even the bigger girls i don't i don't really try to feed that big of meals it's probably why i feed more meals because they're smaller and then i like that better you see that's that's kind of the mentality that i've adopted is uh i'll feed them about every five to six days instead of going a week at a time and then I do between weaned or a large small before you would start considering it a medium. And that's what they get every week, depending on their size. No, I think that's perfect. I actually think all pythons need to be fed more than like the every seven days. Because, I mean, there are some that are, you know, I mean, some girls grow to a couple thousand grams, no problem in 18 months. And they could be bigger if you wanted them to be because they just want to eat but you kind of you you know you got to manage your collection and i'm trying to manage i guess my collection the way i'm kind of the way i kind of like it i guess right no 100 i hear that um with yeah. with your breeding you said you breed your own rats and you have 700 breeder females did i hear that right yeah Ish. yeah i would say on average it varies yeah are you running a uh, maternity breeding cycle or are you doing colony breeding or how's your rodent production work? Uh, so last, uh, last summer in June, uh, Zach Melton, he builds those uh, real nice rat racks and then he builds those maternity rat racks. Um, I had him build me some new racks and then I, I had a building that was 12 by 30 and then we put all those racks in there Um and the maternity side of yeah so uh, jackie does a lot of the rats um and she you know is, is pulling a lot of the maternity you know and doing the maternity side of that and you know some sometimes you have so you know you pull 70 breads or 80 breads in a week you kind of run out of tub space every now and then so you're throwing a few moms together to let them have them but yeah for the most part i'm trying 
we're definitely trying to manage it that way. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That's uh, that's something I still haven't been able to like. I understand the concept, but I haven't been able to get myself to successfully do it. I just I don't have. I don't think I have the space to do it. So like I'm I'm gonna be pulling them and putting them into troughs, I'm trying to separate troughs with, um, making little sections for them to eat out of and having a water bottle in each section. But essentially, a giant six foot trough being turned into maternity racks for the moms, and then I'm gonna have those on shelves lining the walls. So I do that on one wall, and then all the breeding colonies are on the opposite wall and down the center row of my garage yeah and i think some of these mothers if you can get a good group of rats together you know one's not just a total rip they some of them do even better together than in the mature by themselves you know you tell two or three together they just work better together so you just gotta make it work for you okay so that's uh that's a lot <laughs> between rats and snakes are you you're predominantly snakes and you said the kids help with the snakes as well but do you have any employees or like at what point do you think you're gonna have to expand more you know that is something that we talk about me and jackie every day almost because you know there's guys like Bob down there and you know he's got Ryan and you know he takes great care of him and you know uh, you know Chase, Justin and you know I mean a few guys have their certain guys that do really well for them and they have their way and they, they take care of the collection magnificently and you, you know I mean trying to find that right person I think is you know for me in Kansas in the Midwest here is definitely kind of hard because we're not really in that reptile right. area uh, I think that kind of helps those guys down in Georgia, Florida, and things like that, Texas. You know, I think that would even help down there a little bit, being in that area. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I want to do something. I just don't know when or how it will evolve. But at some point, I, I see someone probably helping. Um, you know, Kendall's my, my sidekick when we go to the shows. He's from Kansas City. But Kendall has his own thing where he's, you know, he has his own snakes and stuff. So, you know, we'll just basically be traveling and doing our thing. So at some point, yeah, I mean, I'd almost like to have someone travel. Like that. next year, I've even almost thought about having someone travel and do live video feeds of like us, a lot of the show. Like I'm taking someone that's walking around with me and, and you know, and you're all day long seeing like at least 30 minutes every three or four hours of live video of what we're doing and seeing what, what it's all about and just show maybe a whole, have someone travel with us for the whole year and show that experience of, you know, what we're doing. And even a lot of the behind the scenes, because no one has a clue what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, you hear things, <laughs> but I, I, I think we're I know what happens at night. I can hear it through the walls. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, you know, we're definitely a lot better than I think people give us credit for. So, uh, because we definitely we like to have fun, but we're also good boys. So that that's the main thing. So that's uh, and that's that's one of the things that I think you did right right from the start is one, like I was saying at the beginning, just your attitude, how you're like a kid in a candy store constantly, and I love that about you. And you're super humble about it, and you just you're you're enjoying your process. But 
while doing that, you were able to set yourself up in a group that seems to be nothing but winners. And when I say that, I don't say that to like stroke ego or anything, but you all push each other and you force each other yeah, to sure. go to the next level every year. And that's something you don't get from everybody. And I think that's that's vitally important if you're going to turn this into more than just a hobby. So kind of can you talk us through how you chose the people that you chose and kind of what you had to go through to meet them or kind of the story of how you all came together? OK, so uh, I guess um, so like the uh, Bob and, and Steve and those guys that I hang out with a lot, um, you know, in the very beginning was like, I think I told you, like I met Ken, uh, Kenny Ponte and Steve's morph and all the, you know, Joe Kenny and all those guys down in uh, Daytona in like 15 and 16. And I went out to dinner with Steve's morphs, you know, and we had some drinks and I mean, he, he just kind of like accepted me in for, I guess, being down there and part of that uh, group of guys and, Joe Kenny is just, you know, he's like one of the super nice guys in the business. I mean, you can't say anything bad about him. He's awesome. So, and Kenny Aponte, he's one of the most humble guys there are. So I kind of like fell into that little group of really nice guys in the beginning. So I think that helped uh, give me, you know, and then I met Winston, you know, down there at uh, Daytona and, you know, these guys are not like people that are out there like trying to cut your throat every day or, you know, try to take business from you. And so that gave me a little bit of the perspective that there is that out there. And I guess it was just, you know, I came down and I hung out with a lot of you guys in Texas a little bit and got to know some of you guys. And that was fun. And, you know, I got to do some. I mean, I've been kind of a little bit everywhere and tried to at least, you know, I mean, me and me and Bob and all of us, we kind of fell into the show thing together. That was different. But my thing was just trying to kind of explore the industry and meet everybody. And maybe, I guess, find my place is more or less what I guess what I was doing, not not knowing it at the time. Um, but now, um, so, you know, knowing Steve and all that, that kind of evolved into, you know, over... So I met Bob in Daytona was probably like uh, three years ago. I think it was one of his first years. He was just there visiting and me and Bob and Steve walked around for a little bit. And I really didn't even know Bob that well. And he didn't know me that well. So that was kind of our just like first time to ever even meet. Um, and then it was just over a couple years, you know, those two got to doing some shows and stuff together. And, and then uh, I guess it was Arlington maybe two and a half years ago now. Um, Steve and Bob came just to visit and then I, I had a, I had a booth there and, you know, I'd had one a couple times there and having a good time. And they, they talked about maybe wanting to do a booth. Um, and so we were like, well, let's just do it all together. What's it matter? Um, so then that just evolved into, you know, just friends just talking about just, just having a couple, you know, a show booth together. And then, uh, and then basically after that, you know, they invited me to come to Daytona. They had like an extra table down there. Um, and so they were like, you know, um, it was kind of like, it was kind of like, I guess the Arlington thing, I guess it was like the Midwest. So it was more like, you know, I'm in, you know, we're up there. It's like the invites and now they give me the invite and it's like, you know, it just worked out great. They were super nice to me. They took good care of me. Bob's guy were like going to get me food they were getting me drinks i mean it was just like amazing you know doing their thing and 
And so it just evolved after that, to be honest with you. We all just had such a great time that uh, we just kept going and kept going. And, you know, um, and now it's just, you know, we all talk every week or every day, you know, or every, you know, I mean, and we all just, you know, what I like. And so I guess what I should tell some people coming into this business, if you're new people and you're doing shows together, what I think I see out there is a little bit of maybe like when you're new, the competition is almost too much there. Okay. So I see some of these guys that, you know, try to do some things together and they don't mesh as well because they're still trying to figure out their place. Right. What I think really worked out good for me and Bob and us is we both come from you know, he comes from the South. I come from the Midwest. I'm already established up here. I never needed him. He never needed me for anything. And we were just two separate parts of the world, you know, selling ball pythons, two totally different projects. And so as we just kind of grew together, it was like, we're not even, we're not even competing against each other. We don't even have that mindset to compete against each other because we already have our own success in this business. So it's like the meshing works so well that we don't even like, I mean, we just help each other out. That's all we do. I mean, at Daytona or Arlington, I'm sending people at Tinley. I'm sending people to him. He's sending people to me. I mean, it was just, you know, and we do great. Compliment each other. I mean, it's, Oh, it's, I would, I would sell, I mean, even if I ran out of animals, I'd go to the show just to stand behind Bob's table and help him sell animals, you know, why not? Right. (laughs) <laughs> it's fun so, um, yeah I mean it's, oh, it's definitely a rush so like I my think, first yeah go ahead I'm sorry no no I was no you're good my first experience was a uh, kind of I don't know like it was it was very humbling because it was here in El Paso um, so unbelievables Todd and Jody they've been extremely good to me the entire time i've been in this industry and uh they drove all the way out here to visit us because we hadn't been out to california in a couple of years because we used to see them at every super show and um they came out here for the first ever show me snake show and they let me behind their booth and they're like we'll get your feel see if this is what you really want to do so they opened me up to something that not necessarily anyone would have done right like and I, I did my part. I tried to help them sell. Um, unfortunately, like that show was just really weird. Um, when you're starting a market, most people see snake show and they think it's like a petting zoo versus, uh, oh, you go here to buy animals type thing. Right. Um, right. So it, it's growing beyond that now, finally. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. But they, they gave me my first feel into it. And then I did that last one, like I said earlier, where people got to pet animals and they, they got that feeling out of the way so they could go and they could do their sales. And then here in July, I'm planning on doing my first actual vending of my animals because I have babies that have finally had uh, four consecutive meals because that's that's my role. Like before I'm comfortable letting anything yeah. go, it has to eat four times consecutively. And then I'm all right. OK, it's good to go. So the next show here will be my first hometown actually vending to sell animals. Um, That being said, what's going into your first vending of like actual sales? What would you tell someone in preparation? Like if you want to vend, 
how do you want to set yourself up? What should your mindset be like? Kind of roll it all into how you would prepare for your first show if you had to do it again. Um, so if I had to do it again, I would probably have, um, probably always have some like lower end animals. I guess I would call those like just your like normal pastels or, you know, maybe like even just a male het or something that's really pretty, a banana or something, because people do like to hold animals. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like telling these kids no, because uh, there's so much of the passion is coming through the kids. That's our future, right? right? So it's like, man, when these kids come up, you can tell they're from a pretty cool family. It's like, hey, can I hold your snake? But it's like, man, I just watched him hold 15 snakes on his way over here. And I probably better not. And so I, I pretty much have cut almost everybody off for holding snakes unless they're pretty kind of, you know, kind of an interested person. And uh, so I, I would say, you know, if you're going to the shows, take a few animals that you don't really care that you can put in your quarantine room, just like you were talking about earlier. I think that's great advice. And just, you know, that way, if a little kid wants to come by, take the two minutes, spend with the kid and let him hold the banana or whatever it is. That That's the best. Heck, I love that that's uh like you said man that's that's the future that's how we're gonna grow this and with it always being under attack this is something that i talked with with bob this is something i talked with with everybody um is us arc and if you go down in the description below you will find a link to go and join membership um as you guys know i i really push for membership in us arc i i feel it's extremely lower than it should be with all the people in this industry i'm not going to start that fight tonight even though i would love to start that fight with everybody <laughs> that's that's kind of like my second passion i don't understand why you would want to be in this industry and make money from this industry and like feed into something that you could see taken away by law but you don't want to take the 40 dollars. and it's not even that like so there is an argument I have this argument regularly with people and they're like, well, I donate way more at the auctions or I donate way more throughout the year without a membership. Why should I do it? And I was like, it's simply the numbers. And you'll hear me continuously say this probably every podcast, but um, yeah. the numbers are what leg the legislators are going to yeah. look at. They don't care how much money you're bringing in. They care how many votes they're going to have to fight against plain and simple. Exactly. Um, yep. So go down below and, uh, please join us arc join the fight and uh while you're doing that uh the ball python sheds links are down there as well his morph market is instagram though I, I think you're more active on facebook than instagram um why why did you choose the platforms that you choose to use um the platforms basically facebook when i was really buying a lot of the snakes back in you know 14 15 even looking at them in 13 you know, you got uh, Facebook was just loaded with them. You know, I mean, everybody had their price list on there. I think I have screenshots of Brock Wagner's price list from like six years ago. You know, sunset sunsets for fifteen thousand dollars. You know, and so I, you know, I see it. Uh, but it was so cool because all night long you could just look at snake pictures and prices, and you know, it is like more market now, but. Even if we had that again, I think that would that would help the industry even more. You know, Morph Market has probably been, I hate, I mean, it's probably one of the biggest blessings this industry has had in a while because okay. 
a lot of these people don't don't I, I have guys that are you know pretty pretty good business guys and in this business and they don't they think morph market has done a lot but they don't feel like it's done what i feel like it's done for um you know that that actually gave everybody a place to go shopping all day long in one spot not you know and i don't i think it's uh, a lot bigger than a lot of people think so um but if you know you have some new people that can't quite have a morph market link because they just have 10 or 15 or 20 animals and they want to put the list on facebook and they can sell them all in a few couple months doing that i think that also would be a good advantage you know that's just me thinking out loud oh most assuredly like i i i don't know like i remember the days where you were able to put the price out and now oh you can't put a price out or you can't say even if you're a brick and mortar sometimes like it seems like facebook yeah. will try to flag you for your animal sales now even though in their i don't know terms of service or whatever it is it says that if you're a brick and mortar shop you're allowed to do it it's weird i don't know they're just they're fighting against it is what it is um yeah but it seems like it's gotten better. See, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I'm on Facebook, but I really try to push everything over to Instagram. <laughs> just, yeah, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I, prefer, I prefer just watching, like, the reels and the pictures and be like, okay, let me hit you up real quick if I like it or something like that, you know? But, um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's what Morph Market is yeah. anyways, but I don't know. I think that's that's one of the things why I like Instagram too. Those like you get to you get to kind of see the personality or the creativeness in the person as well. And it's not that you don't bring that out with uh, your Facebook group. Like you're, I love your Facebook group, man. Like all the little games that you play every week and the way you give back to the community. It's it's freaking huge. It's one of the things that I'm trying to figure out how to uh, kind of mimic in a sense without being a jerk and copying it but i i love the way that you set that up you continuously keep and i, and I think if and interested yeah yeah and if other people want to copy it i have no problem with it you know build your own success with your own you know if you you got to use some of that you know um strategy to help help you get there that's perfectly fine you know i started this like almost three three years ago or more on these raffles and stuff so and I, I had even friends of mine that, that gave me crap about it, saying, I can't believe you're raffling animals. And, you know, I, did, I think it just took them a while to kind of understand the theory that I'm not really giving the snake away for $10. Um, so it's just, you know, and I have I get a lot of messages. I really do. I mean, if someone wins the snake, they can't afford like a $1,500 or $2,000 snake. And they win that and they get to buy a snake that's 1500 bucks only spending a couple hundred dollars i get a book message thank you for allowing me to you know get this mail to expand my collection and it's very meaningful so i let all that stuff go in the beginning and i you know it's even like i had this talk with bob like two years ago i'm like man look at this you know, these guys are giving me shit about this raffle group and he's just like screw those people man do your thing you know they're they're sad of your success so it is what it is. And I just kept it all, I kept it all going. And it's, you know, we turned it into a little bit more than just the raffle group with the pictures and stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. I love it, man. It's, that's one of my, uh, one of my joys out of that group. Even if I don't always participate, it's just 
seeing everyone interacting i freaking i love watching yeah. them get all competitive and like drop <laughs> 10 15 pictures to be like no he didn't give a limit on this one <laughs> that's funny that's yeah everybody uh, loves their pictures man it's the way people are man i i found it a lot of people are uh this doesn't sound bad semi-narcissistic about their collection but uh it's yeah. good it's a good thing right like if if you're not enjoying oh, your sure. animals how do you expect anyone else to so you should enjoy but i remember um it took me the longest time to break the mentality right like you would put something out like i i put out something i was super happy about like when i picked up uh my ghi clown from bob i was like i finally got it like this is this was the pinnacle in my mind for so long and i finally got one in my collection and then you get a bunch of people that are like oh that's really cool and then your dms get blown up and they're like look at this look at this look at this it has like five <laughs> more jeans on top of yours and it's like thanks for crushing my fucking happiness dude like yeah it's really cool <laughs> thank you you're awesome but no like i i understand yeah. that you're excited too and it took me it took me a long time to break that mindset. Like, dude, why do you have to just fucking crush my dreams? Like right now, I just posted <laughs> it. I just got it. Like, let me enjoy the moment for 10 minutes. And freak, you know what I mean? Like, but it's, it is. That's yeah. everyone. Gets when the new, when the new guy stuff, gets in. You know. Yeah. When the new guy gets in and buys his first adult and he makes, you know, he makes a snake that's like six jeans and crushes what I made that year. It's like, you know, good for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so that's the fun part. What what's been what's been the greatest thing that you've learned from this industry? This is something that I actually want to make part of every podcast now. Is we don't always touch on it. I feel like everyone should leave a part of themselves in the industry so what what's been that defining point for you um probably just um i would say you know treat everybody exactly the same because you just you meet every single personality of every shape size and form in this business so if it comes to you you treat them with respect and love them and that's kind of you know be humble that's for sure, because, uh, you, you know, you just you don't know, you know, what that person's got in their mind. What You know, I mean, you could be talking to someone you never even think could own a snake and they end up buying a five thousand dollar snake from you and you get to talking to them and they have this amazing projects going. So, um, you know, I just kind of like treat everybody the same, you know, and yeah, hopefully that works. You know, I mean, there's no reason not to is the way I look at it. Yeah, for sure. Like. I mean, that's, that's kind of the golden rule. So you, what I was trying to get out of it is like, if you could, if you could pinpoint like your, your best moment within the industry so far, what would you say it was? Would it be hatching a certain um, animal? Probably. Would it be just like the meeting of friends that have become essentially lifelong friends at this point? Like, what would you say that moment is for you? 
Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these friends I'm hoping are lifelong friends. So, I mean, that is probably pretty huge. Um, you know, you're probably right there. Um, you know, um, the, the Texas thing when we, we did that and saved all that, you know, helped all those people. That was probably one of the, you know, the things that touched me the most. So. Yeah. And I appreciate you guys for that. Uh, I was super lucky to uh not be part of that freeze um right honestly it, it literally ended about 100 miles away from my house luckily oh but, did uh, it really okay so you did yeah. get wow yeah. so i i and yeah, no, I, I, I drove through that time. like i got home and i was just like oh god it's not gonna be good but yeah go ahead i'm sorry i'm sorry no, no, I, you're good. I just, I, I got messages of entire collections and pictures of stuff that just, it was, yeah, devastating. That's for sure. And that's, that's one of the things I love about, I talked about it with Bob last week, like we're, we're now expecting more of each other, but that's one of the things I love about this industry is especially ball pythons. Um, the reptile industry in general, we're getting better. We're coming together when need be, but the ball python people were starting to hold each other to a higher standard like when someone needs help we we expect ourselves to i don't even know how i want to put it but essentially we expect no, ourselves right. to step up and yeah, if I you're not you we're we're gonna call you out not call you out on it but like we take notice of that at this point i think um the people right. that are vocal about helping or the people that are uh just don't seem to be passionate about what they're doing anymore you kind of see it unfortunately with some people that have been around yeah. or even some of the newer people they're like well i don't i don't i'm not even making money so why would i donate this or why would i do that and it's like it's not about that it's about just being a good person like you you want to be a representative of what you want this industry to be <laughs> and so we're calling each other out to yeah. do that and uh i think that's how we're gonna continue to grow but um yeah, man. i mean i'm so. sure you get messages i get i get messages almost daily or weekly that's hey i just bought this snake from so and so can you help me it's i'm having problem feeding or uh you know is it id correctly or you know and it's just like you know i try to help where i can but not try to cause any issues where i can and you know i mean it's just so yeah i mean it's you, you do what you can and then just, but I, I think you're right on that. Everybody is really starting to hold, hold themselves to a higher standard um, all the way across the board. I mean, and it seems like, so that, that is a good thing for us. Josh, I, I, I kind of promised you I wouldn't go past an hour and 30 plus. I, I think my wife would probably shoot me because it's almost time for the kiddos to go to bed. But uh I, I appreciate oh, all your brother. time, man. I, uh, I definitely, I want to talk about a lot of other things that we didn't get to tonight. Like you guys know, this is kind of a free for all. So what I'm going to start doing actually is I'm going to start putting up, um, on my Instagram. If you guys don't follow me, follow me there. You'll see the next guest. I blow that up all week. And if you have specific questions that you really want me to get to in that time, Obviously, I don't want to like overrun my guest time. Make sure you post it up there so that I can get to that. Um, Y'all, if 
you can please please give a lot of love to josh he's a great dude he's super friendly helps everyone that he can when he doesn't even yeah. really have to but uh where can we find you and what what's your uh biggest thing that you want to accomplish before the end of the year before you leave oh man so uh i don't know what my biggest accomplishment by the end the year is yet I don't know. but uh the way to get a hold of me probably is facebook you know uh, instagram you can do messenger on facebook is pretty quick my cell phone number 620-224-3522 you can text message me anytime um you know if i don't hit you back instantly i'll get back to you in a couple hours i you know i do have shitty ass service out here so sometimes it's just the way it works so well no <laughs> other than that um my biggest accomplishment will just be getting through the year safely through the travels and seeing everybody as of right now. That that sounds like a good goal to me with all that traveling. That's a that's a major goal to accomplish. So uh y'all, no, I hope no. you enjoyed this episode. Absolutely, brother. Like yeah. I, I I yeah. look forward to many more conversations in the future. Um I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something. I know we didn't go super in depth on a lot of stuff, but we did cover, I think, a fair amount of information in that time. Uh, if you have questions, obviously reach out to Josh or myself. And if I can answer it, more than happy to. I know he already said it, like he's getting those questions all the time. So I'm sure he'll be happy to. Y'all have a great weekend. Be safe. We'll see you next time. Love y'all. Have a good night. Thank you. Love you.